Okay, well, good. Uh, we will begin uh, here picking up our um, Bible study of 2 Samuel. We'll, we'll, uh, we're halfway through chapter 15. I think uh, we're going to start around verse 30 of 2 Samuel 15 and then um, try to get through chapter 16. So uh, that's where we'll start and uh, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless, and without your light, our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word, that by due diligence and right discernment, we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, uh, chapter 15, verse 30 Remember how Absalom was conspiring? Chapter 15 was called Absalom's Conspiracy. David's son Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom. Absalom wanted the throne. And so he was starting. Remember we talked about how he was greeting people in the city and saying how, oh, too bad the king doesn't have somebody to take your case, to listen to you. The king won't listen to you, so I'll help you. And so Absalom, the king's son, um, started to try to convince the people to follow him. Uh, this, of course, would be you know, what the ninth and 10th commandments are about, coveting, uh, that Absalom coveted his father's um, kingdom. And so Absalom starts doing things to undermine David's reign. Now, it is an interesting comparison, though, you remember, because this kind of happened before. If you think about David and Saul, remember, because Saul was king, but then people were coming to David and following David. And so it was almost like, you know, David, you could might see how David was taking the kingdom from Saul. But there's a difference. There's a big difference between these two. What difference do you think it might be between what Absalom is doing to David and what David did to Saul? Remember, because Saul was king, but all the people were wanting to follow David. David was going out, he had opportunity to kill Saul, but David didn't. Remember, he'd cut off his, his coat or, um, you know, he would dodge a spear being thrown at him. So what's the difference between David sort of taking the kingdom from Saul and Absalom taking the kingdom from David. Have you thought about that? It's a comparison. The big difference between the two is, remember, David was anointed by, by the priests to be king, even while Saul was still king. But God, remember, God told Saul, he said, you're no longer a, a legitimate king. And so the priest anointed David to be the new king. But Saul wasn't letting go of the throne. He wanted to stay king. The difference now is that Absalom hasn't been anointed as king. Absalom, he doesn't care about being anointed. He just wants the throne. So some people might be confused and say, well, this is just what David did to Saul. No, it's not. Uh, what Absalom is doing to David is, uh, what is it called when you kind of go under uh, and you, you undermine somebody's authority? That's what, that's what Absalom's doing. He's undermining David's kingdom. God's chosen king, because God hasn't chosen Absalom yet. So Absalom is just 
purely by earthly power and desire and wisdom is he trying to take, take the kingdom. He is coveting his father's kingdom and he's trying to take it, trying to steal it. Uh, so that's one of the distinctions here that Absalom now uh, is not the right king, not the God, God-selected king. Okay? So that's, that's one big difference. Okay? Now, the context where we're at now, remember um, David has to leave Jerusalem, as we see there in verse 13. Uh, David and the people who were part of his kingdom, they left the city. They, they evacuated um, because Absalom had quite the force with him. And he was coming through. So David flees. He runs. Um, and uh, let's, let's see what, what goes on next. Chapter 15, verse 30. Any questions before we get into it or thoughts? Okay. Chapter 15, verse 30. Here we go. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. We can see here that, you know, um, these were real people, right? I think a lot of times, I know one of my difficulties is, Reading this, maybe maybe that's why you know movies and shows like The Chosen is pretty good. One good aspect of it is it gives them they become real people. And a lot of times when I'm in stories and reading things like this, I forget that these are real people uh, who had real goals. They're just like you and I. And you see here that when David is in trouble, what does he do? What did he just What did he just do? He's, he's in trouble. His son's trying to kill him and take his kingdom. What does David do? Okay. Uh, okay, he's mourning. But then what does he do? He prays, right? Did you see his prayer there? Oh, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David, you know, he's praying. This is, this is not an easy thing. Verse 32. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat on with his coat torn and dirt on his head david said to him if you go on with me you will be a burden to me but if you return to this city and say to absalom i will be your servant o king as i have been your father's servant in the time past so now i will be your servant then you will defeat for me the counsel of ahithophel are not zadok and abiathar the priests with you there so whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So David now is kind of being, he's kind of, he's, he's kind of being wise. He's trying to get what? Uh, a mole. Right? He's trying to get a mole into Absalom's, into Absalom's uh, inner circle. So he wants to be able to know what Absalom's going to do. Okay, uh, Chapter 16. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, 
bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. So Ziba here, right? Remember Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, uh, and David showed him much kindness. But now one of Mephibosheth's servants, Ziba, he comes and he basically lies to David. Because Ziba, of course, wants to, wants to be wants to get a place of prominence with David. He wants to be a part of his government. And so Ziba tells this lie that uh, Mephibosheth is, is now going against David, which he's not. So David is tricked here, uh, David and Ziba. Um, it, it's, uh, he was lied to, but he only has the information that he has. Uh, so he gives over the, the, the inheritance or whatever belonged to Mephibosheth, he gives it to Ziba. So David uh, believes Ziba, and he should ha- should not have. Okay, when king, so you can you can see there's a lot of things going on, right? There's a lot of different va- levers being pulled, people jockeying for power, and all this stuff, um, which is pretty typical. Now, when King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, and as he came, he continually cursed. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you. For you are a man of blood. And so here we have Shimei, this guy um, from the house of Saul. That as David is walking by, he's telling David. He says, your son's attacking your throne. This is punishment. It's partly right. Remember when David had his affair with Bathsheba and what God said David's punishment would be. The sword would never depart from his house. So there was always going to be conflict and fighting in his, in, his, in his line and in his kingdom. So here we see that coming true. But Shammai is, is not, he's not, uh, he doesn't really know this. And he isn't really uh, speaking the truth. Um, he is, he's saying that the Lord is giving the kingdom into the hand of Absalom. Well, he hasn't. He isn't. Absalom is illegitimate at this point. So he can't make this claim. And if Absalom takes it by force, that, that's, that's even that's worse, you know, that he kills the Lord's anointed. Um, so let's hear what 
what David's response is going to be. Remember, David is walking. He's fleeing for his life and with his people. And there's this guy there yelling at them and saying, this is happening to you because you stole the kingdom from Saul, which also is false. So verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over there and take off his head. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Let me go over there and take off his head. But the king said, What have I done with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shammai went along on the opposite hillside him, and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. So what does David say? He says, no, don't go kill him. He says, God may be the one who's, who's teaching him to say this. And he says, he says, and if he's not from God, you know, then God will reward me for enduring this unrighteous punishment. So, right, this is kind of akin to some of Jesus' sayings, right? If someone takes your cloak, give it to them. Instead so of someone hit, strikes you on your left cheek, what does he say? Turn the other cheek and give him the right. And Jesus, you know, he says, blessed are those who are cursed, who are persecuted for his namesake. So David says, well, I don't know if God told him to say these things to me. If he did, okay, I'll just receive it. If he didn't, I'll receive it. And then God is going to pay me good for enduring, for being strong, for not giving up. It's kind of an interesting way to look at suffering, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe this is God's punishment for me. And for something, you know, and that's, that's not unbiblical to say that. Um, because we are to look at all, all suffering and any kind of natural disasters or events and use those to say, well, I would deserve that too. So whether it's suffering comes, or Jesus did this in Luke chapter 13, when there was an, a disaster where the tower, a tower of Siloam fell, and it killed people. And they came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, were these guys worse sinners? Is that why God caused them to die in a construction accident? And Jesus says, they're not any worse than anybody else. The point of this is, what about you? Do you realize that your life can be taken from you like that? So you need to be examining your life. So at any time there's a natural disaster or anything like that, after we pray, we should also use that as an opportunity to examine our own lives according to God's law. That's, that's how Jesus says to handle suffering and disasters. Um, and to pray um, and to know and to be ready for that time that you too might be swept away in a natural disaster. God, that may be God's way of delivering you, right? We pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Every time we say, deliver us from evil, we are essentially praying that God would deliver us from this veil of tears to take us home. 
so that, that Lord's Prayer, when we pray that, you know, deliver us from evil, we're praying, yep, that we are delivered from all pestilence and the work of the devil, but we are also praying, God, save me from this madness, right? Some days we pray that a little harder than others, don't we? <laughs> Lord, thy kingdom come today, right? Uh, let's just end it all, God. Uh, and that's the cry, that's the cry of faith. That's a prayer of faith, you know, knowing that God can come any moment and it'll be good for us because it's going to put an end to all this craziness that's going on. And then it's going to be pure bliss. It's going to be great. And all things will be restored. So it's quite interesting how David takes this, this guy who's rebuking him, throwing rocks at him, throwing dust. And it's, I, I think it's a funny scene, you know, just this guy walking alongside, you know, yelling at him. And it's, a, it's also, you know, it's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? As Jesus is, is going to his cross, and even as he's being hung on his cross. You know, it's funny, I kind of gave a visual for the confirmands that we think, archaeological, that, you know, when, when, when Jesus is hung on the cross, they left this center post. The center post was stuck in the ground. It was always there. And that when they needed to crucify somebody, they took this cross piece, and, and that they could remove that off of the cross, and they put it down on the ground, and then that's when they lay you down and they nail you to that. And then when you carry it, right, that's what you're carrying, right? And, of course, Jesus couldn't carry his own because he was too whipped. And so then that's when Simon of Cyrene would carry this crossbar. And so when you're nailed to that and you're walking to your cross then, then they, they put you, you know, here, and then there's guys on each side of you that grab this side, and then they lift you up, right? And then they, so they, they put you up, right, on the, on the spot where it belongs. So when people are rebuking Jesus, they're like this close to him, right? So they can spit on him, right, as he's hanging there on the cross. Kind of like this guy is doing to David, as David is going this guy is rebu you know, saying, oh, you deserve every bit of this. You get out of here. You know, it, This is a picture of Jesus as he is going to his crucifixion. And even while he is hanging there, because in my mind, whenever I would picture the crucifixion, I thought, you know, Jesus is like, you know, high up. You know, that, that's a tall cross, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's the one instance they say they, they took a stick, right, with the the vinegar on it, the wine and vinegar, and, and gave it to him, right? Um, that gives us this idea that he was, he was kind of, you know, kind of high. But with the confirmands, I kind of say, look, you know, you could have a conversation with a person being crucified. You could talk to them. And so what were people saying to Jesus? Hey, come down off that cross if you're the son of God, right? Come down. And they spit and they, you know, railed at him. And remember the two thieves, right, are right there too, and they're able to converse and have a conversation. You know, one of the greatest, you know, conversations in the scriptures. So we here see David also uh, being an example of what Jesus went through. And David says, you know, kind of like what Jesus does. You know, Jesus doesn't deserve this, but he says, I, I will gladly take it. You know, I, I'm, all your accusations are false against me, but this is what I need to do. So this is what I'm going to do. So he doesn't let it, he doesn't flinch. And, and, and also for us too, you know, we should go forth. We should carry our burdens. 
uh, suffer and, you know, not woe is me, right? Um, but I deserve worse than this. God knows what I can handle, and he's giving it to me now, so I'll carry it. I will go. Um, and uh, that's, Jesus is our model. Jesus ain't, he's not a wimp. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and neither are we, right? Uh, he says he'll, he'll give us the strength we need to, to endure and to carry forth. Um, so we see a picture of that here. Um, David and uh, the sort of the picture he's laying of Jesus here for us too, that he does this. Okay, um, verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. That's pretty bad, right? Because David's not the king. He's not anointed. Verse 17, Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. So this is pretty good because Hushai uh, says, says exactly what David told him to say. So Hushai is, he's, he's, man, this is a big, he's taking his life into his hands here. Because he's, he's essentially saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a mole for David. Verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel, what shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Remember, this also was the curse that God gave to David after Bathsheba, where it says, David, you went into private and committed adultery with another man's wife. The curse for you is that another man will come and he will do this publicly in front of everybody's sight. So this is part of David's punishment coming true. That he left, you know, he left his concubines, his concubines. They're not wives. Um, he left them behind, but he, you know, he takes care of them as you would take care of a wife, uh, supports them, gives them a place to live, whatever. And uh, then this, this happens. So it's coming true again, the curses that God said would happen to David. Uh, and it's, it's quite interesting that it's all happening. Uh, just, it's just the way things go. When God says something's going to happen, it will. It does, in spite of our, our our <laughs> efforts to, to not let God's will be done. Okay, so uh, kind of, kind of, eh, you know, some of these stories are pretty bad. And so here again, you know, we have Absalom going and sleeping with his father's concubines just basically to disrespect his father. I mean, and that's pretty bad. That, that, that's pretty bad. Okay, um, Chapter 17, then. Let's keep rolling. 
Moreover, or unless there's any questions or clarifications, I mean, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a soap opera, right? Um, so it's okay if there are no questions, but if there's anything to, for clarification or whatever, you feel free to. What's the definition of how to serve you? Is that like a servant? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's going to be a um, a counselor. He's going to be an advisor. That's the word I'm looking for. Is he paid for that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he gets a place of prestige, and and this is his job. Yeah, yep. But but also remember that Hushai, he's a spy. For David, so he's who Shai is doing this to serve to serve David, but he is serving, like you pointed out, Absalom. He says, "Absalom, I'll be your servant," and then he'll get paid, protected. He'd be like a you know bodyguard, basically. Yeah. Why do you think? Why do people turn? Money, power, power, prestige. Um, I mean, to to be in the cool group, right? I mean, David is running right now. He doesn't look like a, a strong doesn't doesn't look like his kingdom is going to last. So, and that's the question about Ahithophel. We're we're really kind of he's kind of a puzzling person, really, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, that uh, he, he he's gonna he seemed a person becomes king like Absalom he would he's born right so the son of the king would be the next king yeah but you're not king until a priest anoints you with with oil so they'll have a ceremony. Right, and and the priest will take oil, kind of like what you know what we do. You know, he didn't say this, but in the name of God, or like at baptism, Christians say baptism is our anointing, where it's water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and you are given a new title. So when when a king, when the the king dies, then the son would become the new king. And the priest would take oil, and he would say, "In the name of God, you know, you are the king of Israel." And also, all the women, right? All the all the women, right? Everything. Marriage was used as a tool, uh, a political tool, you know. So that's why, you know, like. Bathsheba or some some other women. Bathsheba isn't given much blame in this story, so I don't want to assign blame to her. But if the king was interested in you and you're a woman, you went to that king and you slept with him, hoping that you would get pregnant, because what would that mean? That means my son would be king. And that's that's the problem here, is that David took somebody else's wife and she became pregnant. But remember, that son died. But then David killed her husband, so he brings her in, and then now he's got all these women, so whose son is going to be king? So that's why there's all this. Can you imagine having 20 wives, and who's, who's going who's gonna to get the inheritance? Because I know you got this big old inheritance, you know, just all this gold, all these private islands, and that I want to know who's going to get that private jet. <laughs> Uh, 
But you could have... What's that? Nobody knows you and I are king. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but you can imagine then, right? Like kids. I mean, nowadays, that's one of the sad things I see when, when somebody, a mom or dad, dies in the family and they have multiple children. What happens? I, I mean... Like, I mean, generally they fight over things that are, are um, sentimental. But you also see this where, you know, it's like a, um, a, a piano, right? And like during when the parent was alive, like let's say mom played the piano, you know, and, and when they're alive, nobody cares. The mom's like, hey, who wants a piano? Oh, nobody. And then mom dies. And then what happens? Yeah. And it's like, you didn't care about this thing. Well, you didn't care about it. I helped her move it. You know, it's like, oh, man, that's a tough thing of kind of going. That's the bad side. But I tell you, it also can be a blessed experience when, when families after a, a mom or dad dies. And they basically, it's just very collegial and, and very good. But that's, that more, more times than not, there's usually some sort of fight. So that's this times a thousand. When you're talking about... I mean, like if a king, right? You you get everything. You get riches. You get land. You get it all. So De- so Absalom, when he goes and sleeps with David's concubines, he's like taking his inheritance. Does this remind you of a story in the New Testament? The prodigal son. The prodigal son goes to his dad, who, who's not dead, and he says, Dad... Give me my inheritance. So basically, the son is saying to the dad, Dad, I, I really don't need you anymore. Just give me what... I, I, want, I want your stuff, Dad. So you just, you know, just kick off and die, old man. Um, so the, the, the prodigal son is... It's kind of what the story is. You know, Absalom is, is kind of that, that younger son that is threatening and going to his father and saying, I want your kingdom... You can just kick off and die. And if I have to be the one that kills you, I'll do it. Thanks, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, yep, you're exactly right, Dick. It is, it is a power struggle. And uh, that's what David, that's what God warned David for. He said, hey, this is, you know, don't do this. Because what? You get a few moments of pleasure. But look at the lifetime of suffering he's got now. Yeah. That's why you don't appoint an individual as trustee of your estate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't because they just can't handle it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can tear tear it apart. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good point. Good question. Any anything else? But very real life. What was the communication like? Um, it's it's kind of what you would imagine. They would. They would send letters, and you had official seals. Um, things would travel by foot or by horse, um, foot or camel, whatever, horse, whatever. Um, but it took time. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had official messengers, right? And that's where that's where that that saying comes: "Don't kill the messenger." The king would send his messenger, right? And if you if a king sent his messenger to you. You, re, you respected him as it was the king himself. And if you killed that messenger, you know, you're telling the king, I, I, I'm going to come kill you. So it's a, it's a big deal. But yeah, they would have official messengers. Uh, they, would, they would actually run, too. 
you know, run like a long distances to deliver these. So, you know, because you want to trust your messenger too. Because if I'm a messenger and I don't like my king, I'm going to write a note. Hey, I'm going to come, I'm going to come take your land. Hey, king. I, I, and this is what's happening, right? Hey, king, I, I want to be your friend. But look at what my king is threatening to do to you. Hey, I, don't kill the messenger. I'm trying to help you, right? Everybody wants power. Everybody wants their little piece of the pie. Uh, so communication was very, very interesting. Good question. Okay, uh, chapter 17. Hushai, right? Remember Hushai was one that David asked to go and, and be a, a spy for him. So now Hushai is going to save David. Chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Ugh. I mean, that's a pretty haunting thing to say. I will strike down. I, I, I'll only kill the king. <laughs> but remember, remember that saying, why did David not kill Saul and all those chances he had? Do you remember what David said? I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed right, on the king. And now Absalom and uh, this Ahithophel, you know, Ahithophel says, oh, I will only kill the king. I will lay my hands on the anointed. So it's a contrast here. We kind of see two opposite things. So it's kind of guiding us and teaching us who's in the right here. Uh, of course, uh, I mean, like, not as if we didn't know, but uh, I mean, you, you can kind of see how deep and how far down they're they're, they're going, how degraded they've become in their own minds. Verse 5, Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also. Let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is... Not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he's hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. 
If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Remember, that was David's prayer. He said, Lord, confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. And now we see that's exactly what happened. That um, David, in his wisdom, by sending Hushai there, uh, has, has confused the counsel of Ahithophel. But also see here, too, that this is now then how the Lord is going to protect David. Now, now think about that, too. Remember, just a couple chapters ago, David felt bad for his son Absalom. And he wanted Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. You remember that? Absalom was in the outskirts of town because he killed his brother. And David felt sorry for him and brought him back. So now, right, uh, the Lord is, is using this counsel to protect David from Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and all the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at En-Rogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? The woman said to them, They've gone over the brook of water, and when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise, go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one of them was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So Ahithophel is a, like should remind us of who it was it that betrayed Jesus. Yeah, so Ahithophel is kind of a Judas character here. Right In a couple of ways, he betrays David, but then he also does what? He hangs himself. And it was intentional, right? Because he went, he set his house in order, and then hanged himself. Judas tried to set his house in order too, you remember? You remember what Judas did before he hanged himself? Tried, he threw the money back in the temple. Tried to give it back, they said, oh no, that's so funny. Yeah, the people who gave him the money... We're like, oh, no, we can't take that money. It's blood money. <laughs> and so David just threw it back in the temple. But so here we have Ahithophel, a picture of Judas betraying his Savior, and also Ahithophel betraying his Savior, David, his king. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. 
Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zuriah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shubai, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Bazilai, the Gideonite, from Regalim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd, for David and the people to, for him to eat. For they said, The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Okay, so they're, they're receiving sustenance, and it, things are kind of coming to a, 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 a summit, a peak, an epitome. Things are really building up right now, and what's going to happen? They're chasing after David, and, and he, here's the question of, is David going to survive this? Nothing good can happen, though. Somebody's going to die. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zurai, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth ten thousand of us. Therefore, it's better that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So David still has a, of course, makes sense. He still has a soft spot in his heart for his son, even though his son is trying to kill him. Sounds like Jesus, right? David is a man after the Lord's heart. He is, he is very much like Jesus. Verse 6. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. Now that's an interesting one. We're just, I mean, it's, it's an interesting way to say, you know, that, you know, what role did this location play in regards to, you know, men falling from rocks or, you know, dying of thirst or hunger or whatever, way out in the middle of the forest, not having any sustenance. But it's an interesting way of saying the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. Um, but quite, quite curious. Mysterious. I, I didn't see anything that really kind of gave a good answer for that. Verse 9. Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, 
I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Atai, For my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the troops came back from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. So, there you go. He gets his, remember, remember when I say, you know, a lot of times when the Bible mentions physical characteristics, it's for a reason. Remember what we talked about? What did Absalom do each year in his villages? Remember he would get a haircut? And then what did he do with his hair? He would weigh it. Oh, look at how much hair I've grown this last year. And what is his downfall? Right? His hair. His hair gets, he's riding a horse, his hair gets stuck in a branch. And then the whore, mule, I'm sorry, it's always, it's always a mule. Mule. And the mule is like, I'm out of here. And uh, there he is. He can't get, can't get his hair out of the branches, can't get it untangled. Uh, and uh, yeah, they see him. He has no defense and they kill him. Well, let's see how David reacts. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. That's really interesting, isn't it? Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So you're wondering, you asked Dick, how did they communicate? There you go. Verse 24, Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall, and when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there's news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. 
the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, See, another man is running alone. The king said, He brings, he also brings news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He's a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who's delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what it was. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And that last line there, does anybody recognize it? Absalom, Absalom, my son. Uh, Ernest, was it Ernest Hemingway? Uses that line. One of his one of his books, actually, Absalom, Absalom he uses uh, he uses that that line uh, in in his book, and uh, it's one of the most profound verses in the Bible. You know, the father expressing. I mean, just think of the sorrow that he has. You know, his son was was it just was never going to turn out well, and David tried and he hoped. And uh, he knew, you know, now he knows, you know, God's, God's warning is coming true. You know, what he told him would happen is happening. So now David lost his son with Bathsheba, right? Or at least he died uh, on the seventh day. And then now also Absalom, his other, another one of his sons, is, is now dead. So it's bad news. It kind of shows you really how, um, how David's sin really had a shattering effect on his family and his reign and, and rule there uh, for, for that time. Yep, yep. It's interesting here. The Lutheran Study Bible talks a little bit about the two, the Cushite and Ahimaaz, about delivering the news. They, they have this interesting little text here. They said, Ahimaaz is anxious to bring news of the victory to David, but he fails to tell about Absalom's death. Expecting an angry reaction from the king, Joab sends a Cushite to bear the message. Official messengers must be faithful when delivering the news given them to tell, even if their message is not welcome. This holds true especially for ministers of the gospel. How blessed are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel, 
who tell us that our King Jesus reigns with mercy. That's an interesting way to look at these and to speak of these two, um, these two messengers. Uh, and then to make that, that comparison to prophets, pastors, right? To, to preach all of God's word, not just the good stuff, right? As our, our friend, yeah, our friend, um, what's the big guy down in Houston at the Rockets? Uh, Joel Osteen. You know, they, they asked him, they said, you never talk about sin. And he says, yeah, because nobody wants to hear about bad stuff. You know, he just wants to talk about good things, right? That's, that's what a pastor needs to do. And uh, Jesus said, you know, people are going to reject you when you, when you preach about him, <laughs> when you call people to repentance. So, you know, this whole idea of the messenger and delivering the news, you know, you all know that even as parents, you know, as you're raising your kids, it's not all, you know, I just have good things to say to you. You know, we, we have to punish our kids. We have to tell them they've done wrong. And uh, as a father, I'm learning, you know, that, that's, a, that's a tough thing sometimes. Sometimes it's easier than others, but, you know, you always, I don't know if it's the case for you. It's probably just my, my own guilt. But, you know, you, you discipline your kids and you think you've ruined them for, your, for their life. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a softie. I don't know. Yeah, well, they never speak to me. That's right. I've ruined them. Yeah. You know, uh, but uh, kids are resilient. God gives them wisdom and grows them, and uh, you know they. Hopefully, they repent and and uh, come around. So, Absalom didn't. Absalom's pride was his downfall. So, any other thoughts or questions? We'll stop there and we'll close with a prayer. Um, we see that Second Samuel. I think it's 24 chapters. Uh, yeah, 24 chapters. So uh, we're, we're, we clicked through quite a few today, and uh, we'll, we'll finish this up. And we can go you know, straight into Kings if we want. Um, it's going to have some of the, uh, you'll hear some of the same stories. We can go back into that and get the count of the Kings, First and Second Kings, uh, and just go through the books of the Bible like we've been doing. Or we can do something else too if you have an idea. So. Okay, we'll close with prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you've preserved your servant David, even in the face of Saul and his early days when he faced Goliath. You preserved him because you were preserving the line for your son, a son who was not proud, a son who did not sin, a son who does not take a kingdom by force, but gives up his own life, that he uh, sacrifices himself so that we would be part of his kingdom, so that he would win us from our sins, suffer the punishment that we should, and to give us eternal life. Grant us, O Lord, also to be faithful sons, uh, that we would uh, not become proud, but to repent when we do, and to trust in your mercy and to call out to you as our Father, knowing that you have even given your own Son, so that we would be part of your family. Grant us confidence in this. Protect us from pride. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.